Uh, we are back with another in our final episode of Field Notes for 2021. I am Robert Gaines, one of the hosts, and I'm with Meryl Campbell Cox, one of the other hosts, and we are very excited to be with Dana Rickman. Dr. Dana Rickman, please introduce yourselves or yourselves. Yourself. Robert and Meryl, I am Dana Rickman. I, as you know, I am president of the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. Listening audience, this is our president. This is in-house. Yes. We're excited. We're and, very excited. And I'm actually on this uh, podcast. Yeah, we're going to have a slightly different format since this is all, you know, this is all within the family here. Um, and we're all just going to be having a conversation uh, with President Rickman. Well, thanks guys so much for having me on. I'm actually a little nervous uh, to be talking about this stuff with you guys. I shouldn't be, but I'm really excited. This is a very high stakes, heavy hitting environment. You better watch out. It's high risk. <laughs> you guys have set a pretty high standard on, from your previous podcast. So I hope I live up to expectations. Aw. A high compliment. So what, should we just go ahead? Should we do this? Should Let's we do, do this it. thing? All right. So Dana, you've been president of the partnership for a while now, and we are closing out 2021, as Robert mentioned. And here you are, only the fourth president in the entire almost 30-year life of this fabulous organization. Um, and we remain a nonpartisan voice for educational success in Georgia and a go-to source for quality research and analysis and educational policy. But you being our new president, it does sort of, your tenure does represent a new chapter. So I would like to ask you, how would you describe and distinguish that chapter? That is such a difficult question. And you think as the new leader, I would have a really easy answer. Uh, back when I took over the reins of the partnership in February, earlier this year, February, 2021, it was a real challenge thinking about the vision for the partnership because you know, the future, you know, where we're gonna go. Because as you mentioned, we're almost 30 years old under the leadership of our former president, Dr. Steve Dolinger. Like we were, I think, incredibly successful. We have a very good reputation. And so it's one of those things. It's like, how do you improve on what I felt was a really great organization? And so in thinking through that and thinking through sort of the next chapter of the partnership, for us, I don't think it's us, the partnership, it's not so much of improving on what we have always done, but staying true to who we have always been, which as you mentioned, nonpartisan research, advocacy, data-driven, education policy, but adjusting uh, to the changing times that we're in. Um, the education ecosystem looks very different today than it did even when I started at the partnership as a policy analyst you know, 10 years ago. And so for us, it's really taking a sort of temperature of the landscape and the the how we work and who we work with and how can we you know continue to improve upon the educational success for all students in Georgia. Uh, and so for us, what I think sort of the next phase of the partnership and where we need to continue to go with the high quality work that we've always done is really work with our partners, uh, a broad coalition of folks across Georgia, both at the state level, regional level, local level, uh, stakeholders, anybody who's really involved or cares about education, which frankly should be everybody, uh, to pull together a real clear vision of what we want Georgia to look like in the next 
five to 10 years, both in terms of strong educational outcomes, but having really intentional discussions of linking education policy to workforce outcomes and the, the state's economic development goals. Uh, I think Georgia has some real clear economic development goals. Like we hear about them a lot. Like the, the state is really leaning into innovation, the uh, occupations to do with the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, math, uh, logistics and transportation. You think about the Port of Savannah and the airport and all these sorts of things. And, and Georgia is really working hard to capitalize on the rapidly changing technologies and automation that is happening you know, around the world and in Georgia. So to stay economically competitive and to keep economically growing, we need to respond to those challenges. And of course, you know, I think that requires having a strong educational system aligned with those goals. And so that's happening, but then also think about, you know, the last 18 months where we are hopefully coming out of a pandemic uh, and not just spiraling in some sort of weird pandemic spiral, but, you know, how do we lead out of the pandemic to ensure an inclusive educational and economic recovery that gets Georgia to where we need to be. And so I think for the partnership, that's two key things that people should look for from us. Uh, first, I see the partnership really pay, playing a key role in advancing that overall agenda. Um, what does a state level policy agenda look like that really marries strong educational policy with strong economic development policy to lift up all Georgians? And second, I think related to the first, we must have an educational and you know, workforce development policy that really takes into account and addresses some of the root causes and structural barriers that we have to unequal access to resources and opportunities that are driving the opportunity gaps that we see from early learning all the way through post-secondary completion and access to good family supporting jobs, but also careers. I think a lot of the disparities that we've seen are, you know, frankly, all of the disparities that we've seen put on full display during the pandemic, those are not new problems. They're not new disparities. They're not new issues. The, the pandemic didn't cause any of them. Uh, what the pandemic did was make them much worse. It exacerbated these situations and has made it more urgent to address and frankly harder to even do so. And so I see the partnership really taking a leadership role in talk, not only talking about those barriers, but working with our partners to really remove them so that we can achieve that you know, five to 10 year vision that we need to establish for Georgia. Dana, you, you touched on something that's I think obvious to everybody, which is that we're living in a very dynamic time in the world to say the least. Um, you mentioned the pandemic, uh, its impact on schools, students. We know that it has touched the economy. In a lot of ways, this is still going on and it's evolving. And uh, right alongside that, there's a lot of political division and social tension in the world. And we're coming up on an election year. So mm -hmm. there are a, a multitude of things happening. How does the partnership navigate these ever-changing and very complicated waters? You know, I think it is incumbent upon us and also thinking about us doing our work in the ever-changing ever environment to really elevate the level of discourse and be that voice of reason, to be that voice of, you know, I don't want to say common sense, but to really cut through a lot of the noise, because I think most people on 
when where you are, either side of the aisle, Republican, Democrat, young, old, blue, black, or purple, like I think we all have the same common goal. Like we want a good life for ourselves. We want a good life for our children. We want Georgia to prosper economically. Um, and so I think that we need to work to distinguish ourselves as sort of a, a rational voice in the noise. And so when people really want to come together and pull and almost force them if we have to, to find that common vision where we can work together, rise above the noise, you know, dare I say, lean into the facts um, and sort of eschew some um, issues that are very distracting that don't really help move us forward. Um, and really to try to keep the focus where it needs to be. And in this case, on you know, delivering high quality education and ensuring a high quality workforce. Um, and so I, I see our role is really trying to be that, that voice. It's a pretty powerful um, description. And I think, you know, as somebody who is a member of the Georgia Partnership, uh, it's, it is an inspiration to me to be reminded of, of our role and of the opportunity to, to serve that role. Cause I think it's so important. Mm. Um, but as, as also, the partnership member who really focuses on our community work and our and our rural work, I have to ask with all of that sort of as a backdrop, how do you see rural Georgia and our work in rural Georgia playing into that sort of overall picture? Well, Meryl, you'll be happy to, to know since it is such a big portion of your work is that I see rural Georgia as, I mean, just critical to this overall vision and picture. You know, it used to be the old saying that, you know, so goes Atlanta, so goes the rest of the state, right? I truly do not believe that to be true anymore. I think we really need to shift in mindset and, uh, you know, so goes rural, so goes the rest of the state of Georgia. Um, and so we really need to be thinking about how do we uplift and support and engage, we meaning the state of Georgia writ large, engage our rural communities that there's a vibrant rural community out there, uh, many of them, you know, how do we make sure that they are connected and participating and have the resources that they need uh, to participate in our economic recovery and make sure that they have the resources that they need to lift up their own vision of what they want for themselves and their communities. I think we've got to do a much though I will give credit to like, you know, our current governor has done a ton to reach out to rural communities to, to try and get resources to them. Uh, but I think as Georgia's generally, we need to stop thinking as, of ourselves as Atlantans and the rest of the state. Like, I really think that we've, we've got to meld those a lot more. Uh, um, and, you know, one of the examples I'm thinking of, thinking about our work moving forward, you both know that we're working on what we call the CARES impact study, where the, the K-12 districts in particular have received just a windfall of federal money to help them recover from the pandemic and really accelerate learning and all these other kinds of things. And Meryl, I see your role is you know, with your rural learning network of you know, creating you know, almost uh, you know, communities of practice amongst the different rural leaders and how are they using this money? What can we learn from the innovations that we're doing? Like, how can we set up structures to really understand what works in rural? Um, what doesn't work? You know, it's their problems in rural are the same as problems in urban, right? You, know, you have 
poverty, you have problems of access to quality teaching, you know, you know, transportation problems, but how those problems play out and what the solutions to those problems are are wildly different depending on where you are in the state. And so I think through different networks and really understanding how different policies and practices and spending and resources play out in Hepzibah, Georgia versus um, you know, Conyers, I think any responsible leader really needs to understand that. You're not going to have just one policy is going to fix whatever it is you're trying to do. And so I see rural as critical. It is always good to hear. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and I, I think people are, are realizing that more and more, Dana, something you said around as, as rural goes, so goes Georgia. That's powerful. And I think it it points back to a conversation Merrill had, I think, with Dr. Womack just about shifting our mindset around what rural brings to all of us, um, not having the deficit kind of perspective on rural Georgia, what they lack, but elevating what they have and, and properly valuing that and in, in, uh, in thinking about how to move Georgia forward. So I'm gonna shift gears a little bit. I know on the horizon for us as an organization, we're on the verge of dropping our next top 10 issues to watch report. Uh, and that will be coming out in 2022. Very exciting. Uh, do you want to tease some of those issues for the folks who are listening, many of whom I know are big fans of the publication? I will. And hopefully uh, many of those folks are also helpful in us uh, writing and researching the, the publication. Um, the, the, you know, as you mentioned, the top 10 issues to watch, it comes out every year at our media symposium, which Robert, you do such a great job of, of putting together. Um, so the first week in January, so everybody mark your calendars, you'll be able to download it on January 7th. Uh, but this year, we really, it, you know, as I mentioned before, we needed to dig into some of these sort of historic barriers of access uh, to resources and, and things like that. But we're also, again, digging out from a pandemic. And so the overall theme of the top 10 issues this year is really, again, around equity, but shifting mindset and strategy. And, you know, the pandemic, as we mentioned, really spotlighted social, economic and educational inequalities that affect, frankly, all of us. Um, and so we really wanted to dig into what if we used an equity mindset and what does that mean to expand access to high quality education and workforce opportunities that would ultimately promote personal well-being, but overall community resilience and then state economic security. Because you know, our economy is changing so fast and there's always gonna be some sort of disruptions to the economy and some sort of disruptions to what we call normal schooling. Hopefully it won't be disruptions like a pandemic uh, but there will be, you know, economic downturns, downturns, there'll be, I don't know, floods, hurricanes, you know, whatever. How do we insulate our communities and our residents and our state from these shocks to the system so that we can continue to keep moving forward? And so we really want to dig into issues around that. And so we'll be looking at things like, you know, top of everybody's mind, what we're calling unfinished instruction, right? Um, how do we accelerate learning? from the lost instructional time that students suffered during the pandemic, but do it in an equitable way. Uh, looking at, again, you know, non-academic barriers to educational success. 
And so things like access to mental health supports, which we know mental health is a huge problem um, in the schools right now. Um, housing, you know, all of these things that really lead to positive educational outcomes. Thinking about school culture uh, and really the role of school leaders that are sort of leaders in setting the culture and the climate of a school. And that can really go a long way toward um, getting kids where they need to be. Funding is always an issue, right? But this year it's a different kind of issue because we have all of the, you know, I think there are many folks who are under the impression that school districts are just flush with funds and don't know what to do with them. And we don't need to worry about school funding ever again. Um, and there are some school districts who have a surplus of funds, but there are some even with um, the federal funding that are still operating, who have been not been made whole from the austerity cuts. And so what is what does all of this mean for education funding and how we think about um, moving forward? You know, accountability is always an issue. We're gonna look at that. Early learning, which is an issue that's just particularly always been dear to my heart. The state has really done over the past two decades, but the past decade in particular, uh, led by the Department of Early Care and Learning, has invested so much energy and resources into you know, developing a really high quality early learning system, especially through our pre-K program. But they've invested just millions and millions of primarily federal dollars into getting this thing you know, up and running. But what we see now is the lack of workforce and the lack of investment in the early learning workforce is really a threat to all of the progress that we've made in the early learning space. And so we've got to figure out a way to make high quality investments to support the early learning workforce. And so that's a big, a big issue that I think we need to really uh, wrestle with. And we've got one called, Robert, you'll like this, the new moonshot. Um, revamping the teaching profession. You know, there's, there was a call to urgency of, you know, we're going to get to the moon um, in the next decade, back in the 60s. Um, we, we need to have that same sense of urgency on how we address the teaching profession. Um, and then, you know, workforce readiness, one that we've already sort of talked about. How do we align um, and make sure that students and adults as well. Uh, a lot of these educational issues affect adults and going back and getting retrained and reskilled. How do we align what people are learning in school to make them applicable to what the job market needs? And finally, uh, Meryl, the, the last one's for you. It's called the Rural Transformation. Uh, we titled it Rural Transformation from the Inside Out. And so really how do we support uh, resilient communities, especially within rural, and you know, really bringing those communities together to thrive. And so, Robert, that may be more of a preview than you wanted, but there we go. Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> I pointed out a couple that you thought were boring, uh, but that's what people can look <laughs> forward to. And um, since I was, you know, given the privilege of taking over as, as president of the partnership back in February, we hired a new senior policy analyst, uh, Matt Smith. So he primarily wrote the top 10. So I think longtime fans of the top 10 will notice a different writing style and structure, not wildly different, but it's nice to have a fresh voice on this. And so I'm excited for people to see it uh, January 7th. January 7th. I'm so excited. Right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was flying by. <laughs> yep. Um, 
Uh, speaking of time flying by, it is about to be um, Christmas and New Year's. Um, we've already passed Hanukkah and Thanksgiving. Um, it's the holiday season. And I have to ask y'all, what meal are you most looking forward to? I'm going to eat so much stuffing. I'm going to eat, I, I need, I need you to understand. I'm going to eat so much stuffing. <laughs> so I will jump in there. It's a little <laughs> unconventional, but Christmas Eve is Chinese food for our family. All right. All right. Keep talking. And, and because I overeat at Thanksgiving, I typically don't eat similar foods at Christmas. So thanks. Christmas Eve is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, Chinese takeout high quality Chinese takeout. And All right. uh, if I can find my favorite organic eggnog, I'll have some of that too. But apparently the supply chain thing is real because yeah. <laughs> uh, my organic eggnog is nowhere to be found. I'm, so you're an eggnog guy. If it's the right kind. Some eggnog is uh. like drinking, you know, like melted ice cream is too thick. This is organic Valley. Shout out to organic Valley. <laughs> uh, perfect consistency right amount of nutmeg it's good dana are you an, are you an eggnog believer oh, i'll drink it sure sure uh <laughs> i don't i don't have the palate that robert has uh but i will tell you what I'm, I'm looking forward to you know pandemic times we weren't able to get together with family but a rickman family tradition that we've had since i was little is that my mother for our christmas eve dinner similar to you robert and look more forward to Christmas Eve than Christmas Day, but for Christmas Eve dinner, before we would go do the candlelight service at church, my mother would make homemade cannelloni, like the homemade noodles, and she had the old-fashioned, not the electric noodle, like she'd grind that sucker out by hand, and it was just the most amazing thing, and so we had not been able to have it I guess the past year or so, because you know, pandemic, we haven't seen my parents, and so I'm looking forward to this Christmas Eve, introducing my children to Grammy's homemade um cannelloni because oh it just it just melts in your mouth it is so good yum wow. yum 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 that's, yum that's where we're headed i'm coming to your house maybe i'll seriously put the chinese food down this year <laughs> i don't know robert chinese food sounds good to me we always do a big christmas eve dinner with family and then we're sort of on our own for christmas which is usually fun but um given that i have an extra roommate uh, in my house now, and she is too young to be eating solids of, and in any meaningful way. Um, the idea of taking Christmas off from stressing over things and just getting Chinese takeout seems exactly our speed. <laughs> well, we've got options in our in our side of town, Meryl. You can pick. I can't wait. This is going to be give me fun research to do between now and then. <laughs> um, well, this has been a gift, Dana. So thank you for this Christmas gift of your presence and your voice yep. um, and your presidency. Uh, I'm excited about our direction and I'm excited about, as always, the work we do. Um, but it's, like I said, it's always nice to have that, you know, these moments of transition give you sort of a enforced moment of you need to check in. Who are we? Where are we? What are we doing next? Um, and I think it's, it's so important to do organizationally and and it is it's inspirational i like i like the answers to those questions <laughs> so thanks well that's good because <laughs> 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 are both key uh to implementing this vision and so i'm just 
I'm, I'm thrilled with the team that we have and the work that we do and all of our partners and stakeholders and supporters. I mean, we're a small staff, um, but the, you know, we have such a, we have such a great board and the, the way that our board members step up and support and really get our message out there. Like, it's just, it's all, I mean, partnership is our middle name and that's how we do work. And so I'm looking forward to continuing to do all of that. Well, I think I'll close us out on that note. Thank you for being with us. To, to those listening, we are signing off for 2021 and we will be back in 2022. Woohoo! Happy New Year, everybody. Happy holidays. Bye, Robert. Bye, Dana. Bye, Meryl. Bye, guys. Hey there, listener. One more thing before you go. You've been hearing from us, but we'd love to hear from you. We at the Georgia Partnership always want to get better at what we're doing. So let us know what you think so far. Also, what are we missing out there across this great state? Who's doing cool things in your neighborhood to support the education and workforce pipeline? What innovations and solutions has your community come up with around economic development? Are there some great partnerships between sectors like housing, health, transportation that are making a difference in your educational outcomes? We'd love to hear about them and spread the word about good work being done across Georgia. We hope to hear from you. Contact us, go to our website, gpee.org, and click on the Contact Us tab in the top right corner. Or give Robert, our communications guru, a call at 404-223-2464. Thanks for listening, listener.